BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. This is a special edition of Countdown, commemorating May 6, 1954, the day Roger Bannister became the first man in the history of the world to run a mile in four minutes or less. Allegedly. If you have already heard the Friday edition of Countdown, you've already heard all that follows this introduction. So I'll talk to you, as usual, on Monday. I just felt it was right to take out the news and present this extraordinary sports story by itself because Roger Bannister was the first man ever to run a four-minute mile? The hell he was. This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, this weekend is the anniversary of one of the most famous events in sports history. One of the most famous events in 20th century world history. And everything you know about it is wrong. Starting at four minutes after six o'clock on the evening of Thursday, May 6th, 1954, continuing until the day he died on March 3rd, 2018, not one day, not one day went by without somebody congratulating Roger Bannister on being the first human to run a mile in four minutes or less, the man who broke the four-minute mile barrier. 
We cannot now comprehend what a big deal this really was. Neil Armstrong times Charles Lindbergh plus George Washington, maybe. The next day, the New York Times published 10 different stories about Roger Bannister breaking the four-minute mile barrier, plus an editorial, an editorial on the editorial page that asked if anybody in world history would ever do it again. Roger Gilbert Bannister began the Times on the front page, ran a mile in three minutes, 59.4 seconds tonight to reach one of man's hitherto unattainable goals. There's just one problem. Not only was Roger Bannister probably not the first man to run a mile in less than four minutes, but there is also a lot of evidence that that record was broken in May of 1770 by a guy who sold fruits and vegetables from a pushcart on the streets of London, a guy named Parrot. 69 years later, and this is still the most famous run in the history of the world. May 6, 1954, on an ordinary spring evening at the Ifley Road Track at Oxford University in England, even as an unfavorable wind worked against him, Roger Bannister ran through the tape in 3.59.4 and ran directly into not just sports history, but human history, the four-minute mile, the first human ever to run that far, that fast, like the first man on the moon. No matter how much farther we go, the glory is his, indefinitely, forever, always, eternal, immortal, Neil Armstrong, but in shorts. Or there had already been a four-minute mile run in 1770, and Bannister has no more claim to immortality than do you or I, and this is really a story about bureaucracy supporting bureaucracy and what the experts call recency bias and a lot of racism, and the story should be about a guy who used to sell fruits and vegetables on the streets of London and who ran in his spare time for money in the decade before the American Revolution, and his name was Parrot. As in, look, matey, I know a dead parrot when I see one, and I'm looking at one right now. We begin in the pages of a British book dated from 1794, which seems to be, for you Back to the Future fans, a kind of Gray's sports almanac. The 1794 tome bears an amazingly modern title, The Sports Magazine. And its chronology of top sports events of recent years past includes for the year 1770 this, quote, 1770, May 9th, James Parrott, a costermonger, a costermonger sold fruits and vegetables from a pushcart on the street. James Parrott, a costermonger, ran the length of Old Street, viz. from the Charterhouse Wall in Goswell Street to Shoreditch Church Gates, which is a measured mile, in four minutes. Fifteen guineas to five were betted he did not run the ground in four minutes and a half. So that's it. I am besmirching the immortality of St. Roger Bannister and everything you will see in the newspapers about him over the weekend because of 51 words about some guy racing against an 18th century watch in the year 1770 and the story wasn't even published until 24 years later? Seriously? Seriously. 
There is nothing else to say about James Parrott. That snippet from that book is all that researchers have ever found or found out about James Parrott. No obituary, no nothing, no four-minute mile, no confirmation he ever existed. Besides which, as every modern sports fan will tell you, the athletes of today are the, the great, greater, greatest of all time goats. If the record book says nobody ran a four-minute mile until 1954, of course the record books are right. Since 1770, humans have evolved. Health has evolved. Training has evolved. Why? In 1770, you couldn't even accurately measure a mile, let alone measure exactly four minutes. Actually, agricultural chains designed to resolve who owned what property and where international borders were had been introduced in 1620 and have proved to be, at worst, only off by around two-fifths of an inch over a mile. And if you're saying agricultural chains, you don't use agricultural chains in sports. Let me ask you this. What do they use in National Football League games to check whether or not it's a first down? Okay, we're giving them the accuracy of the agricultural chains we still use today in our pro sports. You could measure several blocks of London in 1770 and say, from way back there to right over here in front of the church, that is exactly a mile, governor. But how would you time it? Four minutes exactly? What did they use? A really good sundial? No. They had a thing called a chronometer. The chronometer was perfected by 1761. You may know the chronometer as a Swiss watch, or as you might also know it, a Rolex. So this parrot runs a mile, or maybe he runs a mile plus two-fifths of an inch, and he is timed by several guys with Rolexes, and they all have the same score. He did it in exactly four minutes. If you're still not convinced, if you're still Googling Roger Bannister's descendants so they can sue this idiot Olerman and his podcast, let me emphasize the part that convinced me that a man named Parrot did run a four-minute mile two months and four days after the Boston Massacre unleashed the events that would culminate in the American Revolution. Permit me to reread that last sentence about James Parrott's run from Gray's Sports Almanac, I'm sorry, from the Sporting Magazine of 1794. Quote, 15 guineas to five were betted he did not run the ground in four minutes and a half. This guy Parrott bet on himself and got three to one odds. And the five guineas wagered here, that would be worth about $5,500 in today's money. Meaning this was no 18th century Roger Bannister hoping to break a record for queen and country. This was a guy who did this for money, for the equivalent in winnings of about $17,000, at least as much as his annual income might have been selling fruits and vegetables from a cart. And the way it's phrased in that magazine, we don't know if more than one bet of 15 guineas to five was placed. He might have won $34,000 or $51,000 or $510,000. Because this was for money, the loser or losers who bet he could not finish the race in four and a half minutes had to be satisfied that he had done it in less than four and a half, in this case, in four. 
As we know from our own times, losers now like to claim they didn't lose and will go to any length to convince others they did not lose. But James Parrott got his money, which means that the loser or losers believed James Parrott really raced a mile and did it in four minutes. I'm sold. Antiquated books and four-minute miles run 183 years before the first four-minute mile, and costermongers and agricultural change, they may come and go and may be trustworthy or untrustworthy, but money is money. And James Parrott was given the equivalent of his annual salary at least once because somebody who thought he could not do it agreed, yeah, I was wrong. He really, 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 really did just run the mile in four minutes. Now, of course, the whole account in the book could be wrong. I'm old enough that I was actually on the air doing sportscasts on the radio network of United Press International on April 21st, 1980, when Rosie Ruiz, quote, won, unquote, the Boston Marathon. Then it turned out two people had seen Rosie Ruiz burst out of the crowd of spectators on Commonwealth Avenue and start running alongside the men runners. And then it turned out that while she was supposedly completing the 1979 New York Marathon, she had struck up a conversation with a freelance photographer on the subway. And the two of them went to the finish line together. And Rosie Ruiz then told officials she had just finished the race. And Rosie Ruiz was a total fraud in two different marathons. Maybe the 1774-minute mile of James Parrott was just inaccurate. Maybe it was just an inside joke or a misheard rumor or a typo. Or he took the subway with Rosie Ruiz. Or it was a joke by whoever wrote the book. I've told you the story before about the 1912 St. Louis Brown second baseman named Proctor and nobody could find anything about him. And then it turned out Proctor was the Western Union operator who used to make up all the official scorecards after each game, and one day he decided he always wanted to be a major league ball player, so he put himself in the scorecard? Maybe James Parrott was the author of this The Sports Magazine. Or as four-minute miles and Monty Python jokes go, now that's what I call a dead parrot. So if it's a mistake, if it's a typo, if it's a hype job, if it's Rosie Ruiz, if it's Lou Proctor, Roger Bannister is safe. No, he's not, because there was also a runner named Powell, and Powell, in 1787, said he could run a mile in four minutes, and he wasn't messing around. He bet a 1,000 guineas that he could do it, $1.1 million in today's money. And not only that, but he ran on a famous English running track near Hampton Court, and five days before Christmas of 1787, he ran a time trial so that the gamblers could all come over and see what shape he was in and whether they should bet for him or bet against him. And he did it in the time trial in four minutes and three seconds. And when Powell said the bettors could see what shape he was in, he really meant it. He was dedicated to his cause. Five days before Christmas, and this guy ran a mile naked. All that was in the papers. What happened in the actual race? We don't know that. Nobody has ever found that newspaper. Nobody's ever found an account of the race, only the time trial. So we have to go under the assumption that Powell never did better than 4.03. But once again, Roger Bannister's four-minute mile has withstood the test of time, uh, kinda. Ah, no, actually, it hasn't. There's also another guy named Weller. 
Weller was famous enough as a professional runner of the time that when he said he could run a mile on the Banbury Road in Oxford, the newspapers of the day all showed up to preview it, to talk about his two brothers who were also professional runners, and to cover his attempt on October 10th, 1796. And there it is in the papers. Weller of Oxford runs a mile in three minutes, 58 seconds. Not only 158 years before Roger Bannister, but a second and a half faster than Roger Bannister. So here's the thing. If somebody really ran a mile in 359 or 358 at the time of the American Revolution, wouldn't that stand out as such an impossible performance, then such an anomaly, so startling that it would be viewed in the same way we would view news coming up on Monday that somebody now had just run the mile in three minutes flat? I mean, if somebody ran the mile in three minutes flat, we would check to see if the guy was a space alien or a time traveler. Wouldn't they have been amazed on October 10th, 1796? Disbelieving what they had heard? Not at all. And that's the second half of the story of the day Roger Bannister did not break the four-minute barrier. Research and computers and simulations show that people in the 1780s were consistently running the mile in four minutes and 18 seconds, four minutes and 20 seconds, four minutes and 15 seconds. If the info about Weller is right, three minutes and 58 seconds. All the time these numbers were being put up by all kinds of runners. So a four-minute mile would have been great but not out of context, not in 1796. And then you have to ask, if it happened, where are all those records? Who were all those 4-minute 18 guys and 4-minute 3-second guys and 3.58 guys? What happened to the records? Well, see, that's another scandal. Those 18th century records were erased in the 19th century because richer Slower people in the 19th century wanted to say they held the records. They erased the record book. That part of the story and the additional sad truth that much of the claims about Roger Bannister are really, really racist. Next. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. No, Roger Bannister really did run a three-minute and 59-second mile on May 6, 1954 in England. It was timed and announced to a waiting crowd by no less a figure than Norris McWhorter, who was later the founder or co-founder of the Guinness Book of World Records. And everybody who was there saw history and was part of an impossible dream coming true. And as I mentioned earlier, the next day, the New York Times actually had an editorial asking whether or not anybody would ever do it again. There is considerable evidence, as I've laid out here, that it was done before, like 200 years before. But if you are still not convinced that no... No matter what else it was, Roger Bannister's 3-minute, 59.4-second mile on May 6, 1954, was not the first 4-minute mile. If James Parrott and the naked runner Powell of Hampton Court and Weller, 1796, don't convince you, there is also this. There is a sports historian named Peter Radford, himself the bronze medalist in two sprints at the 1960 Olympics in Rome, and he brought the story of Parrott and Powell and Weller to the forefront in the British press nearly 20 years ago. This man found them because he was looking for and finding the records of more than 600 running races in the 18th and 19th century. Running against the clock, against each other, usually for money, was not only the most popular professional sport in Britain at that time, it was also probably the first. And with so many races, and especially winning and losing times recorded, Peter Radford had data to work with. When guys didn't run a four-minute mile, how fast did they run it? How fast were these professionals going? The average ones over other distances in, say, 1789. What was the range of times? And his computer looked at all of these races, 600 or so, and all of the times and all of the speeds, and it spit out this conclusion. Factoring in the margin of error, Radford wrote, the best possible one-mile time would be anywhere between 4 minutes 13 seconds and exactly 4 minutes. So, no, you cannot say James Parrott ran the first four-minute mile in 1770 and Weller ran the first sub-four-minute mile in 1796, not with certainty. But I think you can say with certainty that somebody did it before the year 1800 and that when Roger Bannister crashed through the tape at Oxford at 6.04 Greenwich Mean Time on the evening of Thursday, May 6, 1954, and the track announcer, Norris McWhorter, announced that Roger Bannister's time in the mile was, and he gave it a desperately long pause by all accounts, three minutes, 59 and four tenths seconds. 
The moment that happened, Roger Bannister became, at best, the second man to run a mile in four minutes or less. But more likely, he was like the 22nd or the 222nd. So why? Why didn't anybody know this? Why did Roger Bannister live a life of unceasing, undiminished, and sorry, undeserved fame, and that guy Weller, who may have run the race a second faster, and 158 years earlier, why don't we even know Weller's first name? All sports are based on history. Records are made to be broken. The older the record, the louder the break. Who screwed this up? How did we lose Weller in the nooks and crannies of history? We didn't lose him. It wasn't an error. It was deliberate. And that's where this gets to be a crime. Our historian and ex-Olympic runner, Mr. Radford, quoted another ancient book, British Rural Sports by J.H. Walsh, which was published in 1888. And in it, all the dozens of speed and distant events had two sets of records, one for professionals like Parrott and Powell and Weller, the ones who ran for money, the ones on whom people bet, the ones who bet on themselves. There was that set of records and then another set of records which was given far more weight and far more importance for the amateurs. By the early 20th century, Radford wrote, the professional records had been erased from these books, expunged, not forgotten, removed. Why? Because the professionals were far better than the amateurs. No amateur held the record in the mile. It was all professionals. But the amateurs were in charge. They were the British upper class. They raced not for money, but for sport. So the amateurs simply did what the upper class always does in this situation. They erased the records of all the professionals. And oh, by the way, they also erased all records set by women. The British obsession with the superiority of the amateur over the professional, if you've ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire, you already know exactly what I mean. It spread throughout the world through the Olympics. It's why Jim Thorpe lost all his gold medals from the 1912 Games, why the greatest all-around athlete ever died in poverty because he had once played minor league baseball to make some money in the summer, and everybody knew about it, and nobody thought they'd hold it against it, but then they held it against him. He was a professional, so his records did not count, like James Parrott, or fill-in-the-blank here, Powell, or I don't remember his first name, Weller. So the world record in the mile, as of the year 1861, was credited to a man, an amateur, named Matthew Green. Matthew Green was the fastest man in human history. Four minutes and 46 seconds. Four minutes and 46 seconds. In my 20s, I might have come close to that number. By 1913, the International Amateur Athletics Federation had taken over, and it recognized a runner from Cornell, not me, a different runner from Cornell, as the all-time outdoor record holder in the mile. Four minutes and 13 seconds. John Paul Jones, 143 years after James Parrott. The indoor record in the mile was then held by a man named Abel Kiviat, 4, 18, and 2. I met Abel Kibiat. I interviewed him when he was 90. 
I wish I had known about James Parrott then. I didn't. Abel and I talked about his roommate at the 1912 Olympics, Jim Thorpe. Got to tell you that story sometime, too. But, boy, Abel Kiviat and I could have had a conversation about amateurs versus professionals and whether or not his record was actually a record. Anyway, you can see where this is all going, and we are almost at our proverbial finish line. I'll conclude the Roger Bannister story after this. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Not only did history forget the great athletes of the 18th and 19th centuries like Parrott and Powell and Weller, who if they did not break the four-minute mile, they came damn close and did a lot better than my friend Abel Kiviat did or my Cornell guy John Paul Jones to say nothing of Matthew Green, four minutes and 46 seconds. What did you do, stop for lunch? Not only were the remarkable athletes like Parrott and Powell and Weller forgotten, they were buried deliberately. It makes the subject of the Roger Bannister four-minute mile that everybody celebrates with almost undiminished astonishment every year at this time. It makes all this a little less trivial and a little bit more nefarious and wrong and ugly. And speaking of ugly and Bannister, there is one other component to this story. In the 1990s, having been the god of the four-minute mile for four decades, having been celebrated every day for breaking a record that was probably broken 183 years before, Roger Bannister was asked about the new generation of runners, those of African descent. On September 12, 1995, Sir Roger Bannister explained, quote, it's certainly obvious when you see an all-black sprint final that there must be something rather special about their anatomy 
or physiology which produces these outstanding successes. And indeed there may be, but we don't know quite what it is. Some countries have the good fortune to have a high proportion of black sprinters and hurdlers. End quote. <sighs> Nineteen years later, Bannister was still driving right into the eugenics lane, sounding just enough like Jimmy the Greek Snyder to make you squirm. I love watching people like Usain Bolt, Bannister said. The West Africans, of course, have an inbuilt advantage. Having been transported as slaves to the West Indies, only the toughest endured. They have astonishing muscle composition with those fast fibers and superior genes. I will leave it to you and to his maker. An assessment of how much of Roger Bannister was patronizing, how much was him trying to rationalize how his time had been bettered by nearly 10%, and how much of it was just sheer racism. But I will note that in what Bannister said is another reason to believe that the idea that he was the first human to run a four-minute mile is laugh-out-loud ridiculous. What about all of the runners of color over the centuries, over the millennia in Africa and South America and elsewhere on this globe, by Bannister's own disturbing logic, certainly some of them must have beaten him to breaking the four-minute tape. No? Let me close with this. I don't know for certain who ran the first four-minute mile or when. For all we know, it was broken 2,000 years ago, and for that matter, so was the present world record of 343.13. Might have been James Parrott or Powell or Weller, whose first names we don't know, or someone so lost to history that we don't know their first name or their last name or their country. We don't know who it was. But no matter what you hear or see or read, in this weekend ahead, it sure as hell was not Roger Bannister. Which brings us, lastly, to Mrs. Roger Bannister, Moira Elva Jacobson Bannister, daughter of a Swedish economist. According to Roger Bannister, his wife didn't know a lick about sports, let alone about running, let alone about him running. For a time, Roger Bannister once said, my wife thought I had run... Four miles in one minute. <laughs> you know, as I've been thinking about this and researching that story, you might as well go with that. Four miles in one minute? It's no more ridiculous than thinking that Roger Bannister was the first man to run one mile in four minutes. Bottom line, Roger Bannister did an impressive thing on May 6, 1954. He did not break any barriers nor set any records, and why we celebrate this every year, I do not know. I've done all the damage I can do here. Here are the credits. Most of the music was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, who are the Countdown Musical Directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray, produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, and it was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. 
Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. And our announcer today was Roger Bannister. Uh, no, it was Jonathan Banks from Breaking Bad. Everything else is pretty much my fault. Except the stuff about Bannister. That's countdown for this, the 850th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Do not forget to keep arresting him while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is Monday. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. At-